Welcome back to another episode of Being an Artist is Fucking Killing Me. I'm Corinne. And I'm Rainy. Welcome to our last episode of season three. Welcome to our final episode where we batch every episode that we've done in the past year. <laughs> uh, not quite, but kind of. <laughs> Can you imagine us just pulling 35 clips? <laughs> <laughs> no so what we're doing is we're picking meaningful moments from the past uh season so how many episodes did we have this season Corinne? um regular episodes or like in total in total just from this year from the season 36 or 37 36. right yeah. so we're pulling um a few meaningful episodes moments. out and meaningful moments and we're gonna remind you all of them and talk about them yeah. And like, hopefully you can take those, the quotes that we pull or the conversations that we have around them and think about maybe how they apply to your greater art practice or your values as a human being. Um, or the current situation of today. <laughs> or whatever the fuck is going on right now, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, or maybe it inspires you to go listen to them or go back yeah. into the seasons. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you didn't know that person, so you didn't listen to their episode. Yeah. Now you have a good idea of what's said and you can go back and listen to it. Yeah, and you you get enticed by by the sound of their voice. Exactly. <laughs> Let's exactly. jump in. Mm-hmm. We're gonna start with dance artist and activist Rodney Diverlis. Who I loved him. Yeah. Rodney I loved having Rodney on. He's just like such a, an amazing energy to sit beside and like have a conversation. It was so great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's so personable and just lovely. Yeah. And he was on episode number 68. I just don't know. Company life is just, it, it takes, it's like putting it for me, like a square and a triangle, like you could, or a triangle and a whatever. Mm-hmm. Like if it's soft enough, you can squeeze it in. But the second that the edges started getting hard, like it's just like, it doesn't fit. And it's just... Mm-hmm. I don't know. At some point I'm like, okay, I'm an artist that's working nine to five. That's, that's like the dream fe- feeling, uh, but f- feeling the, the dream. dream. Exactly, yeah, right? yeah. Like, you're like, I'm working nine to five. I did it. Oh my gosh. I did all the things yes. moving forward. And yet I'm miserable. And yet I'm complaining like nine to fivers. And yet you tell me I have to be here and yet I'm not creative. And yet I'm just, after a while it got to just be like okay yeah uh that quote was so interesting to me when i was i remember hearing it when hearing him say it in person um was i felt it like very impactful and also when i was re-listening i felt like it still just like maintained the importance that it that it did um mostly because like the idea of like talking about company life is kind of what he's referring to when he says that Mm -hmm. right and how you can kind of like smush yourself into believing that you align align with this company and that's what you want whether you're in a company or whether you're not in a company but eventually you like edges starting to harden and you start to get a little bit more like um pushing back towards certain things that start to bother you yeah and it interesting to me because like company life like you said it's not the 80s anymore it's we don't have a hundred companies you know just wandering 
just like all of us are getting hired by companies and we all have healthcare and it's all amazing. And we're all doing acid. Like that's not happening anymore. <laughs> <All> doing acid. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I mean, that's like what I assume they were doing of course. Um, in the eighties. I mean, it was the eighties. So maybe it was but cocaine. Like acid would be like the late seventies or sixties. Excuse me. I mean, still, you know, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I also like, think that's like super interesting and relevant to what's happening right now, because a lot of companies are like shifting up how they work. You know, there's mm-hmm. not this like top, nobody wants this like top down hierarchy anymore because it's not really like how it works in dance and performing arts. It's very much an exchange of ideas and exchange of time. So to have this top-down structure is I don't like not a thing anymore. Make any fucking sense. No. Yeah. And especially with COVID and how our arts funding is going to be limited. Mm-hmm. Um, I've already begun like thinking, I think we were talking about this a little bit ago, how instead of people getting raises and this isn't everything, this is not just the arts, but I will see, I think we're going to see it a lot in the arts. Instead of people getting their raises this year, people are going to be taking pay cuts just so they can work. Yeah. And that just gives these companies more power over us and us feeling like we're still fighting for our jobs more. Yeah. Which, and it's just going to be, it's going to build like more mentality of scarcity than there already is and more competition Mm -hmm. between. We're going to work in. Yeah working in like unhealthy environments, like unsafe environments, because we're just thankful to have a job. That's what's going to be happening. I mean, that's what is happening in like the reopening of everything. Right. Yeah. You know, of course it's crazy. (sighs) Yeah. I also thought it was really interesting when he talked about like, I mean, this is when he's talking about being at Ryerson. Um, but when he talks about, how he didn't want to like stand in fourth. He didn't want to do a grand plie, everything in like a grand plie fourth position and look for longingly. <laughs> I always just like think that's so funny because it's so true to contemporary dance and like how a lot of these contemporary programs, that is like what they teach you everything is. And the <laughs> amount of companies that are doing that still are like, I can tell maybe 10 in the world, you yeah. know? Yeah. Oh God. And then we have one more. We also, what I like related to a lot. Um, towards the end of the episode, Rodney really starts talking about how being comfortable can be equated to complacency. And he's all about making people uncomfortable in his work and taking risks. Mm -hmm. And I think he's speaking about that's his site specific work he did to summer works at that point, as well as his activism. Correct, Brent? Yes. So in a way, the life here is very comfortable. And I do think that everybody deserves comfort in their personal life. Mm-hmm. I think everybody deserves healthcare. I think everybody deserves a place to sleep warm. I think everybody deserves level of comforts that we have here. Having said that, I also think that living in our comfort, if we just live and melt in it, if we're just melting on the couch, we miss the fact that like, Literally, eight people have died from living on the streets since it's gotten cold. <laughs> like, it's like every year we talk about a homelessness crisis. There's still water that's still not drinkable in this country. Mm-hmm. One of the greatest countries in the world. What? I grew up in Haiti, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And again, granted, I was middle class, but I had never worried about not having clean drinking water. 
And you mean to tell me I'm here in Canada and there are people who have the same citizenship I have, as I have who were born here, whose peoples were here way before I was, who don't have water? Like, come on. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so, I think the comfort thing is a double-edged sword in that we get, we get, when you're so comfortable, you sometimes forget that like become life's happening. Complacent. Complacent, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. We become very complacent. Yeah, I think that that quote that we, you know, that we just heard, it's so relevant to what's happening right now um, mm-hmm. with like even speaking about like the pipeline, which like people seem to forget is still a thing, even though COVID is happening. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, Alberta just passed Bill 1, which may- basically makes it illegal to protest. Cool, 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 Alberta. Oh, thank you for going back a hundred years. I had so many discussions about this when I was at home, and I just wanted to fight everybody. Yeah, God, it's really hard. But yeah, I think Rodney. Also, if you don't know who Rodney is, just go back and listen to his episode. Look into like the activism he has been doing. He's the head of Black Lives Matter Toronto, correct, mm-hmm. friend? Um, yeah, he's like. Uh, one of the big main organizers and he's very involved. Yeah. He's just has been doing so much amazing work for the past like years for like the past, like eight years. It feels like he's been working with so many organizations and doing so much good stuff. And I really like, I love artists who are more than their art. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like I love artists that can combine things that they're so passionate about, like whether it's video and dance whether it's like photo and dance like um he really does an amazing job of combining his activism and dance and as and keeping them separate as well he's just like very good at um at finding those passions being able to mix them in a really beautiful way as well as like finding their own identity and how he feels about each thing Mm -hmm. on its own yeah he's so definitely go back and listen to that episode rodney number 68 the next episode we would like to highlight is episode number 72 with Nigel Downer, a comedian and actor, actor, improv, improver. He came out with his first like web series or TV series this winter would have been this winter. So yeah. I think it's really cool that we take these massive risks. I think it's, it's always just a huge risk for us to get on that stage and tell this joke or improvise this scene. Um, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of new vocabulary and verbiage that we have to use now in terms of, you know, in terms of gender, or in terms of race, or right. in terms of like subject. So right. that opens up a whole new thing. I'm definitely not going to say it opens up a whole new can of worms. That's not it. What it does is it just opens up, Hey, now this joke is for everybody or this joke right. is more inclusive. We're more inclusive. Right. So now it's like, um, it also has to make you smarter as a performer. 100%. You can't just like dive into those like old habits or old exactly. things. You're like, I have to right. actually think about this yep. and dissect it. Yep. And what am I actually saying? Yeah. Listening to, I mean, when I listen to Nigel talk about um, taking risks and how the current situation is making us have to be smarter in the choices we make as artists really resonates with me and makes me hopeful about the art that's going to start to come out of the world we're seeing right now because I think that, oh, I'm just blabbering. Risk taking. It's important. As we just like listen to with Rodney, we need to take risks and we need to push as artists because if we don't, who else is going to? 
Yeah. I also, something that I just like loved talking to Nigel, but which I think has to do with this idea of risk-taking as artists, like risk-taking in auditions mm, yeah. and preparing for auditions and how that, how that, the turnout of those auditions sometimes <laughs> end up. Um, he speaks really lovely about like how he used to go into these auditions and like, I think we both kind of, all of us speak about this, compare ourselves to, you know, everybody in yeah. the room. But then he says, he starts to realize that, you know, you have, you have three minutes as an actor, not well, very different as a dancer, but you have three minutes to go into the room and do your absolute best. Maybe you get to perform once yeah. for them. And if they don't like a lot of the time when you're auditioning for people, they already know exactly what they want. Yes. I'm sure we've all already experienced this in the past couple months with like applications and, you know, auditions in the past, like people already know who they're choosing yes. and you have to like shock and awe <laughs> to win that position over sometimes. And that's just like, the chances of that happening are few and far between. Right. So when you're going into an audition, just like taking it for what it is, it usually has nothing to do with your skill level and everything to do with what they already know that they wanted or who they already know that they were casting. Yeah. I can relate to that because it's like, we've all like read a casting notice or read an audition call and been like, yep, maybe I have a chance or mm, I know exactly who they're looking for. So I'm not even going to show up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, <laughs> yeah, it's just really interesting when he, when he talks about it because he's, he kind of is like at ease with how that is just the way the industry works at this point. Right. It's like come to terms with it. And yeah, I think, well, we all know it too. Like we've seen enough. We've all seen a fucking chorus line. Like we know what's happening. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Anyway. Totally. <laughs> Another moment that in Nigel's episode that we were talking about before Corinne is just like, you should just go listen to this episode because he speaks a lot about like, yeah, he speaks a lot of really wonderful things about improv and how you can like not enjoy someone you're working mm -hmm. with and go on stage and still have to like do the oh, thing. Oh yeah. So a lot about teamwork and the arts. Teamwork and like professionalism. Mm -hmm. Collaboration. Yeah. So definitely go on check that episode. Episode 72, Nigel Downer. All right, moving on. The next episode we would love to highlight is episode number 80 with Ryan G. Hines. Theater actor, extraordinaire, mm -hmm. equity board member, which I was like really stoked to talk about because I don't, we haven't had anybody on that's like part of a board or an association or a union. So that was really exciting. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Just hearing him talk about. Yeah. And being so like open and knowledgeable, you know, it was nice to have someone on who's also so advanced in their career. Is just like successful. Maybe? Yeah. Far along, you know, they've been doing it a while. They have lots of experiences they have lots to speak about, you know? I really believe in in the idea of the show must go on. And yeah. that idea is problematic for a lot of people. And I, I truly understand why that is. But believing in, in the ethos of the show must go on, I think, gives us strength. It uh, gives us power. And it kind of lets us see outside of ourselves. It lets yeah. us see the bigger thing and know that if we need to back away for uh, a little bit, there's people who will fall in and fill in uh, that space. Yeah. So I really love this moment in the podcast because I think it really speaks to perseverance and adaptability of artists and really also what's happening in the world right now is like, I mean, the show must go on might not like be the best way to describe it, but like 
we have to continue to show up for our communities. We have to continue to do the work and we have to continue to be the voices or support voices that are important right now. Yeah. I think um, it's super complex. The show must go on for me Mm -hmm. because, you know, he speaks about it in a way like it, it, it is unhealthy sometimes to say the show must go on and how we have this mentality with our work that we must perform even if, even though we're dying or even though not dying, but even though we're so sick or even though we're, we're not feeling well um, and how we push ourselves to maybe like bad places sometimes when that happens. But I've been watching the last dance, which is with Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. And he speaks a lot about, um, he speaks about how, cause he got food poisoning in like one of the finals or one of the fine final games. And in Utah, and he kept playing and he thought he was going to like crash. And he just like pulled through and like scored like 36 points. <laughs> um, Michael Jordan. Which is why he's amazing. Jordan, yeah. Um, but he speaks about it in his interview now about how he felt every time he stepped onto that court that he had, it's his job, that he had an obligation to the people that were paying money to be in those seats to do the absolute best. He had an obligation to his teammates and to the world and to his coaches every time he stepped on during practice to do the absolute best he could. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's kind of villainized for that a lot in his career about how he would push people too hard. Right. Or he was, that he was a dick, like your dad likes to say. (laughs) Yeah. Which is so dumb. (laughs) Difference of opinion on that one. (laughs) But I I do find it interesting speaking about obligation and the obligations we do have to our audiences. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's really easy as like independent artists to be like, I'm only going to perform into like 40 people. Why does it even fucking matter? Mm -hmm. But those people still paid for tickets. And it's also important for yourself. Like when you go into a rehearsal process or when you go into a workshop or you take an open class, like you have an obligation to people in the class to not be flailing around and doing your own fucking shit because you're going to hit someone. You have an obligation to, you know, a choreographer to do your absolute best work in that process. Cause at the end of the day, they hired you. Yeah. It's your right? fucking job. So I, yeah. And I think you also have like an obligation to yourself so that, you know, in three years, when you look at your career, you're like, mm, why aren't I getting work right now? Or why is this, this the way that it is? It's because maybe you walked into that rehearsal and you were really tired that day. So you didn't want to try your best or you were kind of tired. So you decided that maybe you just need to take it easy. And that's also like, this is where my mixed feelings come in because I've had that feeling in a class before. Like, I'm just taking this class. Like, why am I walking into this class today? Mm-hmm. Am I taking it because I want to improve my technique or am I taking it just to be here? And even though I have an injury, like I'm not going to push myself maybe. Right. So this is where I have these like complex feelings about where your obligation and your goals line and where they misalign. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's, it's like super interesting to think about that deep within yourself about like your obligation before any performance, what's your obligation for any class before any rehearsal, you know, what is your goal? What is what you want as an outcome? And who are you doing this for? Are you doing it for you? Are you doing it for someone else? Um, yeah. And taking into consideration that we're like, we're the art is bigger than just one person. Yeah. Right. Totally. That happened. I think that comes up a lot in our conversation with Ryan. You have to like look outside of yourself and the stories that you're telling and the people that you're impacting with your stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he, he speaks at the end of the day, like we're still as performers, um, people in performative art, 
networks, we're all just telling stories. We're doing maybe differently and maybe the stories are different now, but those are our goals are to entertain and to tell stories to audiences. And that's the same way that they did it in the twenties with vaudeville, the same way like indigenous people have been doing it for thousands of years, the same way, you know, Balanchine was doing it back then. Yeah. Now we need to modify the stories because some of those stories had, you know, crazy (laughs) racial problems or, you know, sexist problems, but we're still telling stories the same way. Yes. You know, it's our goal is to entertain and inform and make people think. Yes. So thinking about your obligation and how it has to do with, with storytelling as well is very interesting to Mm -hmm. me. Right. Okay. The next episode we would like to highlight is with AC Mensa, episode number 82. AC is a dancer performer, choreographer, all around entertainment, performing badass. Yeah. And this episode, just go back and listen to it right now. Like literally (laughs) pause this one. As soon as you finish listening to this and go back and listening to this episode, because this episode feels the most relevant for what is happening right now. Do you agree, Corinne? Oh yeah, Yeah. totally. Like she, yeah, just do that. (laughs) Just go back and listen to it. Yeah. She has so many good stories and so many good thoughts and opinions. And I, it's amazing to listen to her speak. Yeah. She's obviously takes her work very seriously and she spends a lot of deep, she does a lot of work on it. So her opinions are not coming from nowhere. And to think, and the thing is, is that I've had, I haven't had any bad reviews, but I know quite a few like Lua has, um, Jasmine Fife now Jazz Fairy J. Um, she has had bad reviews, and I, I don't know if Kevin Ormsby has, but I'm like, these reviews can actually make or break you mm-hmm. in terms of the eyes just because. And the thing is, it's like, well, you're not educated in my form. So how dare you think that you know better than me? Right. And you know who like and you know who I am. And then how dare you use such like you they she, she we we ranted it. And using words like, oh, the pulsating bodies and the gyrating. Why are you using this language to describe my form of dance? Because you, but because realistically, you actually just don't know. Right. And that's the thing that you don't want to admit that you don't know and that you're not qualified to actually properly critique my work and see past the movement and to see the actual underlying story and the work that actually went into developing this piece. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm happy that she called out and said, only POC, only black and POC critics yep. can actually come and review my work because somebody needed to say it. Yeah. And if you and if as a right critic, you're upset. No, maybe you need to learn how to actually properly critique our work. And right. then maybe you can then get invited in. When we had this conversation with AC, Yolanda Bonell had just it was like a couple of weeks before this. And she just basically said like, she will not be accepting any white art critics or performance critics to her showing a bug. And the world went fucking crazy. Yeah. She started getting death threats. Yeah. Right? It was bananas. People on Twitter, like, oh my God, I can't even believe it. What happened? Mm-hmm. And it just like, like, why do you, th- as like a crit, like, I would never go review a show like that because I don't know what I'm talking about. So I don't understand how critics, even though they are, that's what they do for a a living. If you are not versed in the work, you should really not be assigning language to it because you don't know the impact that that language has. It is. It's just like so crazy to me that 
that's like the issue with like white with like white people, right? Yeah. I mean, like that's <laughs> is that you think that you have the authority mm-hmm. to speak. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, just like colorblind casting, it's the same thing. We're just going to look at this colorblind. Fuck no. Like Like her work is clear. Her work is about who she is. She is an indigenous woman. Yeah. You can't look at that like colorblind casting. No. You know, get your head out of your ass and like realize that this work is not for you. So it is not going to have the same impact on you as it does on other bodies. And the same with like AC's work, it to erase Mm -hmm. the color of her skin or to erase her heritage is just to like, to like break them apart, break her apart. So you can't just, Mm -hmm. you can't do that without the cultural context and understanding of where someone is coming from, because you might as just well erase them or of who they are. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Yes. It's, that was like really lovely to hear her speak about that and super relevant in that moment. I remember as well. Um, Another one that I just found really poignant for the Toronto arts industry is when she speaks about, and the Canadian arts industry, to be honest with you. I mean, we kind of forget that like, it's so interesting because we get like stuck in our own little cities and forget that there's people, you know, all over. Mm -hmm. You don't see a lot of like switching between companies across Canada, but um, is when she talks about how do you find your own identity when everybody is dipping from the same pot? Yeah. And when she's speaking about that, she's talking about how, she had been dancing with a company um, from Lua. Yeah, a traditional African company, right? Yeah, and she didn't just want to regurgitate, sorry, regurgitate um, the African movement look. She wanted to figure out how can she create something that's different Mm -hmm. and how can she create something that's a fusion of movement. And that's how she like kind of created her own company, right? And that is so, I mean, I am just speaking from the contemporary world right now, but that is so, so so relevant yeah (laughs) because we are all coming like we're all being rooted through these contemporary dance programs so there's a way that um york dancers look there's a way that ryerson dancers look there's a way that university of calgary dancers look um winnipeg contemporary valley dancers look Mm -hmm. and then they send us off and, and also these the way that they teach us is like like i said there's like under 10 companies in the world that are dancing like these people or these institutions are teaching us so how do you like add your own flair onto something that you've been like rooted in for the past four years or you've been like rooted in your entire life yeah and this is why so much of the work is looking the exact fucking same you know this is we all know a cage of left when we see a cage of Mm -hmm. left you know and that's from the cages because they're what they did was impactful because it was different when they did it and that's why everybody uses it now and that's why as soon as you see someone outside of toronto do like I don't know, whatever that anchor lift is. You're like, cool. They trained with cages, right. but like, what else are you offering to your art? Mm-hmm. And like what the cages have done is like research for 30 years. That's why it mm-hmm. is the way that it is. And it's so like, so sought after is because mm-hmm. they've done the fucking and I work. I've heard. Yeah. And I just want to say this, even though I know this is not about the cages, it's about AC, but I just want to say also that I have heard so many like young dancers coming out of institutions being like, so it's like the cages, it's just lifts. It's like not, it's just lifts. Like, I don't understand what the big deal is. <sighs> and something about me about that just shows so much like lack of care mm. about your rooted history. Oh, yeah. And your his- history and your art form to say like, it's just lifts. Why does it fucking matter? Or like, it's just the same shit. Right. What do you think your movement is? What do you think this person's movement is? Where do you think this movement that you keep reposting on Instagram is from? Yep. 
you know, it's, I'm sure people from like wherever that, what's the company, Nunez Art, I think it is. Like, I'm sure wherever they're from, they, those young dancers are saying the same thing. It's the same. Sh- it's just floppy movement. Like, it's understand your history. Yeah. It's so crazy to me when people just like dismantle the work artists have been putting in in your community for years. Yeah. That's super relevant, mm-hmm. I think, to what AC's talking about because her, she's constantly talking about how to link it back to the historical context of your work or to like really learn about where things came from. And if your instructors and your teachers aren't giving you that context, aren't showing you where it comes from, then maybe you should be questioning who you're learning from. Or like go on Instagram. There's so much information. (laughs) Go on the internet. Open a book. Open a fucking book. Yeah. That being said, we also have to do that sometimes. Of course. Um, There's one last quote we want to share from AC. Uh, my director had asked me, she's like, have you ever bleached? And I was like, no. And then I was like, wait a minute. Yes. So my mom gave us this cream. My mom worked for age. Like she's, she's a cook, but she also sold a Avon products. So my mom, uh, there was a bleaching line that was through Avon mm. and my mom gave us the cream when we were growing up and knowing that it had. I, when we, when I talked to her about it, yeah, yeah she knew. And I had to ask her, and I was like, why did you give that to us? And she was just like, I just wanted to help because we were getting teased and we were going through a lot of issues. And I was teased a lot in high school because my I had an uneven skin. So I had patches. It was like some were darker, some were lighter. Here was dark. You know, my neck was dark. And I just literally so people in high school called me cheetah. Yeah. I mean, this story was just... I, <sighs> Yeah. I mean, I can't, we can't really like speak to it out of experience, obviously. Right. Um, but this was a really, I remember listening to when she told this story and and it felt so personal. mm -hmm. Um, and so you could see when she was talking about it, it, it's something that she had thought about a lot, or it was something that she had, I don't want to say grappled with, but it was something that she had, um, had to deal with. it, It was like a personal story. It was something she had to deal with. Yeah. Um, and there was also something so lovely about just like the love of like mothers and daughters in it that I, I was like really touched. With. Yeah. It was very nice for her to feel like she could share such a personal story with us and with our audience and you guys. So again, go listen to this episode now. You can, you can turn us off. It's fine. Just turn us off right now. Just go listen to this. Guys, episode. this was pre-recorded. So we'll be here forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just stop what you're doing. Put down your coffee. And just go listen to that episode because it's wonderful. Okay. Last one. Cool. Sarita, episode mm-hmm. 90. We've had yeah. Sarita on twice now. Yeah. I mean, we, you all know how, if you're a listener and you've been listening for a while, you all know how I feel about Sarita. I love her. <laughs> so much. She's pretty amazing. And the work that she's doing now um, with Black, her piece, her solo piece, Black Ballerina, is pretty outstanding. Mm hmm. And I think we just like keep trying to get her on because we know at some point she's going to be so famous that she's never going to come on. <laughs> she's never going to have time for us ever again. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's so great. She's been so lovely each and every time. Mm-hmm. Um, in this episode. So if you don't know, Sarita and I met at impulse in 2015. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how I knew her in Toronto as well. Um, and in the time at working at impulse, 
or in the time of working with us, in the time of attending Impulse, um, something happened and she speaks about it in this interview. And so for this one party during the first week, there was a white rapper in blackface and a DJ. And I looked around and I thought, this would never happen in Canada. What the hell is going on? Oh my God. So I started, looking, I started looking around like, how is this, how is this performer? How is it? How is this happening right now? I thought I was in a, I thought I was in a dream. So then I started talking to people and I was, I was, I was saying like, is this, is this normal here that someone would, 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 would dress up in, in blackface and rap? Like, is this, a, is this a normal thing? Because I'm feeling really, really terrible. And that night there were, I spoke with minorities and I spoke with not minorities. And the consensus was, we don't want to talk about it. Let's forget about it. Hmm. And all I could do was think about this action of not, oh my gosh, I'm so excited about this. Can you hear it in my voice? <laughs> yes. Oh my God. All I could do was think about this action of not freaking talking about it. How could this be? It's just like also crazy to me that people are still doing blackface sometimes, you know? Yeah. How is it okay? It's, it's not okay. It's really, really not okay. Yeah. Especially it's something that we've known for a while too. Yeah. And like how um, in institutions that are established like Impulse Stand, how is that okay? Like, or how does that like slip by somebody? Also, let's not speak just about Europe, but no. if you watch Khadija's video, she talks about how at University of Toronto in the music department, if they go by in, like in this one wall, if you walk by it, there's like old pictures from years ago and there's people in fucking blackface. Yes. And those are up on the walls of institutions. Yeah. What are you saying to your artists, to your black artists that are coming in when you are just presenting that? Yeah. Just. Yeah, it's, I think it's just, yeah. And for and if like your argument is like, it's historical and it's blah, 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 blah. I don't really care. Yeah. I think you should like take new pictures. <laughs> yeah. It's, I'm sure there was a play. I mean, I hope, I hope there was a play that you did that year that you didn't use blackface. Mm -hmm. And I think those pictures can go up instead. Exactly. You know? God. It's, this, it's pretty heavy. Yeah. And the silence around a lot of like institutions and like how they operate or what they're going to do in the future or how they're trying to change is like really outstanding. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Shame. I will also say something that's just like come into my mind lately as we talk about these institutions and like asking them to do better. Mm -hmm. um, I like want to be like really clear, for, especially for like young artists that are listening to us right now. Um, that like we're not canceling them no right like counseling culture is dumb very but holding people accountable for their actions is not counsel culture no so if you're holding someone accountable if you're saying hey you shouldn't have done this you're not canceling them no right 
because cancel culture is also really a terrible thing. Yeah. It's, it's essentially adult bullying, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's like more about informing. I've been thinking about this a lot because like, you know, like as white people, we have like, everybody has made a mistake in their past. I'm sure we can all count like microaggressions or things that we've said that like aren't okay. Right. And that we're all like really embarrassed about now. Mm-hmm. And I think something that I from my understanding is that um, I really want to make sure that I just like understand that these were mistakes. And I think that if you just inform someone, if we're informing people that they need to do better, those people are hopefully, I think those people will go back and like learn more and understand why those mistakes aren't okay. And essentially we can all like move forward and have people making less mistakes like that. Yeah, totally. You know, And I think that the, they're going to be more informed now. Yes. And I, that is like the whole idea about like holding people accountable, right? Is that you're telling them they made a mistake. You're, if you have the time or the energy, you're explaining why. And then you're like, Hmm. hopefully checking in with them. Be like, Hey, have you done the things that we talked about? Have you actually implemented the things that you claim to be doing? What is actually going on? So that you're not just like perpetrating, perpetrating, it's not the word I want. You're not just continuing the problem or what you were doing is not just performative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cray cray. Yeah. I feel like next season I want to do an entire episode on cancel culture. Ooh. I want to like have somebody in that like, or like an entire month on it because it's, it's super interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, yeah. I just like, like to hear other people's thoughts on it. Yeah. Because like what also like it's kind of like that whole thing talking about remember when like the Me Too movement happened and people were talking about like how to separate the like man from the art. Right. And if it was possible. Mm -hmm. And I just like I'm interested to hear people's opinions. Like is it is it the same when talking about cancel culture? How do we how do we separate people's mistakes from how they're willing to grow? Right. Yeah. Or how they've grown since they made that mistake. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'm just like really intrigued by the whole premise of it. It's a complex topic. Yeah. God. But you know what's not a complex topic? Hmm. Don't do fucking blackface. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wrapping it back up into Serena's (laughs) conversation. Yes. Don't do fucking blackface. (laughs) Transition. Woo. (laughs) Um, There's one last quote we want to share. When you're thinking about your work, just remember like that number one, there won't be a lot of people of color in the audience. And number two, like this is a really, really interesting opportunity for you to say something in this kind of situation. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And, and like the response from everybody was exactly what she said, or was it different? And what she had prepared you for. Yeah, no, the response was, the response was, I mean, she didn't say really anything like people are going to be freaking out about <laughs> you and the content of your work. But people didn't freak out about the content of the work. People were really interested. There were lots of questions about, you know, not just race, but people that have different body types. You know, what is that going to change for ballet? Will it ever change? So it wasn't, it it didn't just turn to be about race. It turned to be about 
the other deficiencies in ballet, not just about race, but about body type and about, yeah. That work is so wonderful. And she's so talented. And for her to be going into a different community to show her work and having those feelings of, of nervousness um, when talking, when presenting her work um, in Europe. So in, it just seems insane to me. Maybe that's just like my, I mean, that is my naivety as like a white person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, it's interesting to hear about how the difference in, I guess not a difference of opinion, but a difference of awareness even though we think about, um, you know, the majority of Europe being along the same lines as us socially, you know, and we're all like grappling with the same things and dealing with the same things. But for her to go in with a work like Black Ballerina and have such different contexts is interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, go see that work if you get a chance because it's quite, quite beautiful. Yeah. It's amazing. Yes. Okay. Well, those are all of the episodes we have. Yeah. All those little tidbits. All those little tidbits. They were in the order that we featured them, not in the order of like preference or anything like that. Um, So please go back and listen to them because they're all really amazing individuals within the Toronto arts community. They're all, you know, experts in their fields. They all have tons of wisdom. um, And they're all just like, real, wonderful, people, honest, wonderful people that took time to sit down with us, which we appreciate beyond words. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Thank you all so much. Um, like we said, this is not how we expected to end this season. No. <laughs> um, we had lots of stuff planned and hopefully we can create all of that content for you all for next season. Yeah. Thank you all for listening this past year. It's been a great and Besides like the end of the last three months, it was like, I mean, even the last three months, um, people are still listening and people are still like having conversations with us. So we appreciate that. But it was like a a record season for us, which we couldn't have done without any of our listeners or supporters, which warms our hearts. And we truly appreciate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Thank you all so much. Um, As always, be sure to communicate with us if you like today's episode, if you have opinions or if you want to talk about something that we said or a quote. Um, We always love talking to you. We love seeing you. Mm -hmm. Um, Send us all of your thoughts. You can check us out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Patreon. Our Patreon account is still running and we still need donors because... You know, mics are expensive. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so if you want to throw us, uh, check us out on Patreon, go ahead and do that. And thank you all. We'll see you in a couple months. Yeah. Love you. Bye.